We have a lot of things going on in this church, and it's just growing, the things to do. I was approached a couple of weeks ago because before COVID, we started, we were going, we were working on starting a seniors ministry where we were going to go out as teams into our city, into the seniors complexes, do a little service where we have a little sing song, and then we have somebody share a little devotion, and then go and have tea with the seniors. We started that, COVID hit, it disappeared. And I had forgotten about it through COVID. Let there be light. Oh, the bright lights. Got to keep your glasses clean up here or it just turns into a fog. So this group, we had about, I don't know, can't remember, 15, 20 people come out to this group. So we're going to set two teams and go out two different places in the evenings, like one night a week. Because I did this years ago out at Bentley. We reached out every week. We met on a Tuesday night, and two teams went out, and one went one way and one went another. We went out eight homes a month, seniors' homes. And so we want to try and do that again, and then it's, it's really great because somebody comes to me and they reminded me of that. I don't need that thing. No? It didn't work. <laughs> I had slides. And uh, I work on, a, I've got a, a great Logos Bible program here. And I put all the slides, <clears throat> and it's got slides, and I was going to try something a little different this morning and have our slides that are the same and then slides just for me. And I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great to have some of my notes up there? Because I know it's Pastor Paul does that. Well, I put that together, and it comes out to, and it worked out to 101 slides altogether. <laughs> but the problem was, it would, I, would, I thought, okay, well, I'll just put in some of them have slides that I look at back there. Well, that made a mess. I'm up here practicing and going through, and I look up, and it's not even close. <laughs> so I got more work to do on that end of things. But anyways, this seniors ministry, somebody came to me about two weeks ago that was involved in a meeting in that group and reminded me of that, and I said, oh, yeah, okay. I said, why don't you talk to some people? So now they're talking to people, and then just the other day, somebody else came up to me and asked me about a seniors ministry in the church, just like what we were going to do. So God, obviously, that is something God wants to do, I think. You want to be involved in that kind of thing. Like, if you're not involved in the church, you like to sing, you like to, maybe you'd like to start sharing a devotion once in a while. What a perfect place to go out and do that, the seniors. They just love it when we come out. And go down and have visit with them afterwards, a tea and a coffee, you know, or a tea and a cookie or something like that. They love that. And, you know, over all the years that I, I used to do it in Bentley, I had the privilege. I was praying with one senior in Lacombe, the senior's home. And I, you know, we were just sharing the gospel. And I said, you know, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Make him Lord of your life? She goes, yes, I would really like that. So as I'm praying for this young, this young, this senior's lady, <laughs> young senior's lady, you know, and she's just praying, and then this, we finish praying, and this lady says, sit beside her, she says, would you pray with me? You know, and got to pray with her the same way. You know, so like, man, it's never too late to be preaching the gospel, you know, and they're, they're asking for it. I know that they have uh, called the church many times wanting us to come and do Sunday services for them. So you're... You know, have a little bit of a, uh, you want to do that? Let's do it. And don't be even giving it a thought. I don't think I can do that. So we're done here today. You're going to be able to do whatever you want to do for the kingdom of God because God enables us. Amen. 
So Father, we just commit this message to you. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Help us, Lord, to hear what it is that your spirit is saying. I pray that we would all just be able to let go of all of our distractions, all of our stresses and problems in life and not allow those things to choke out the things of the spirit this morning. That seeds would be scattered of your word through this congregation, Lord God, and each one that is meant to lodge would lodge where it's meant to lodge and that it would eventually bear fruit, Father God. So we release that in Jesus' name and we thank you, Father, for how you want to speak to us and draw us and move in our lives and make us everything that you have desired and had in mind for us that... Uh, when you had us in mind, when you, before you laid the foundations of the world, Father God, we just bring that forth in Jesus' name with open ears. Amen. <coughs> Hard to cough when you've got a mic on your, <coughs> on your, there. Have you ever known a person who has just turned their back on Christ and the church just threw up their hands and they've just walked away? You know, I think that we've all had the moments in our lives where we're frustrated, we're discouraged, and you know, things are just not going the way that we had thought they should be going. We thought, you know, we're asking for prayer and it, and it didn't get answered maybe the way that we thought it should. There's different reasons why we would feel discouraged in our faith like this. You know, we're gonna look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, so this is a great opportunity for to use those Bibles in the pews because they're not gonna be up here at the back. But one problem with that too is this is New Living Translation. You've got the NIV translation there, but you've got phones. So however you do that, praise God. You just be free in Jesus' name. As we look at these verses this morning, what we see is that the author of Hebrews, he's writing with the hopes of renewing the perspective, the passion of the Jewish Christians of the time by pointing them to the supremacy of Christ. What's going on here is they're, 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 not, they're starting to wane in their fellowshipping of the saints. They're waning it's coming together as a church. There's persecution going on. There's discouragement and frustration in the body. Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so then they're forsaking the fellowshipping of the saints. And this, uh, the author of Hebrews is challenging them, get back together because that's where it's at for the body of Christ. Pointing them to Christ and encouraging the people to recognize the access that they have in God, in Christ, and in Christ alone. Them leaning back on the Old Testament uh, and the, and the take, uh, covering of the law, where the priests were sacrificing day after day after day, uh, didn't cut it anymore. Jesus had come, and he had made a sacrifice once for all. That behind him was not... Uh, this is another awkward thing to do, drink water up here. It seems a funny thing. Thank you. Anyways, it was, I'll drink it because you brought it. And I probably need it. Day after day, these sacrifices were being offered. <clears throat> Jesus had sacrificed his body once and for all. So the issue was settled. It's not a matter of going back to what we're familiar with. It's a matter of trying to understand, okay, what is it that God is doing in our lives? The writer is setting out a challenge to those who are neglecting coming together to worship God, and he's telling them that the only way, or only when they come together and they're learning to function as the church was intended for it to function, are they doing the right thing? 
The book of Hebrews provides light to help the struggling Christians see clearly. Throughout the ages, there's always been a remnant of people who were willing to do God's will regardless of the cost. And in the midst of this uh, devoted life, there is an enemy of our souls who will always be working to frustrate and discourage God's plans in our lives, the believer's life. That has always been going on since the beginning of time. And by, the dying, by dying, Jesus eliminated the effectiveness of every tool that the devil can ever use against anyone who's a part of this remnant. Jesus' death silenced all those tools. And uh, we'll see as we go along here about applying the blood of Jesus and how these tools that the enemy uses are not effective to us who are living the life by faith. And uh, by dying, Jesus made it possible for us to stand holy and righteous before God. Now that's quite a thought. When the Father looks at us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus and he sees our lives through the filter, he sees our lives through the filter of the risen Jesus. That's what he sees. He doesn't look at us and see dirty. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. The one who made it possible. He's the one who made it possible for us to worship our heavenly father in a perfectly clean state. You know, we have the ability to stand justified before our heavenly father, being completely freed from the guilt of shame, of, uh, the guilt and shame of sin. And the guilt and shame, you know, that I never knew I had until it was lifted off of me. I remember that as if it was yesterday, I remember... You know, when I gave my life to Christ and I started walking this walk and all of a sudden this guilt and shame of sin was lifted off of me. I felt so satisfied. I felt so content. I felt so free. And it was like just uh, made an incredible impact on me. I can remember where I was at the moment I was when it just dawned on me how free and light I felt. Hebrews 10, 14 says that for by that one offering, Jesus' life, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Rock under my shoe. I will never, he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. You know, like, do we really understand what this is saying here? He'll never remember again our sins and lawless deeds. You know, for every bad thing or every wrong thing that I've ever done was forgiven and was gone forever. It was removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. That's an amazing feeling. And on Calvary, as Jesus gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done, everything that could be done has been done so that we can walk through this life being supported by our heavenly father. Our Father has authority over everything. He, his desire is to bring us as a sinful, broken people to a place of strength and of confidence and give us wisdom. And because Jesus' death and resurrection, we can enter into the presence of God boldly and confidently, knowing that all of our flaws and our blemishes no longer are standing between us and God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the door has been opened to us. 
a door that allows us to walk in a supernatural assurance. We know that we know that we have favor with God. Nobody can tell you any different when you're in this place, in his presence, and have this understanding of who you are in Christ. Nobody can take that from you. That is how people, these martyrs, have been able to stand under the martyrdom, the torture. One martyr said, you know, he was being led away to be martyred, and he said, make it as painful as you can make it, because I'm not worthy to suffer for my Lord's sake. I couldn't imagine saying that. We enter into this place of strength and confidence, that God, knowing that God is for us in every way. He holds nothing back from us. And when we're living in this humble and repentant life, there's no shame and there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. You know, it's when then, at that time, when we understand that, that we can stand, you know, in God's presence, knowing his will for our lives. You know, all of these things that are between us and the Father, they're gone. They've been taken away. It is finished. We're no longer living under the curse and the bondage of sin. It no longer has its grip on our life. No more guilt because we're free in Jesus' name. The author's writing the message to encourage the believers that now is the time for these Christians to recover their first love for Christ. He's challenging them, you guys are straying off here. You need to recognize that Jesus is the way to life. And he wants them to restore their first love and to, you know, they're to bear up under the present sufferings that they were experiencing. And he was challenging them to remember your future glory that wouldn't be long in coming. You know, and I know there's times where we need to shore up that first love that we had. When we first become Christians, we first become awareness of this freedom that we have in Christ. All of a sudden, a new life has been given to us. We need to stir that up. And we also need to recognize that there's a future glory waiting for us as well. You know, sometimes we as a body, we need to be aware that we cannot do this apart from gathering together. And this is a key to this message here. One is that we have the boldness. We can stand in God's presence with confidence because of what Jesus has done. We are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. That's quite a privilege. And uh, notice Romans 12, 4, 6 here. And I was saying that, you know, we're in that state, but then we're in it together. And Romans says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We have our many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And in this grace, God has given us different gifts to do certain things well. We cannot do what God is asking us to do apart from one another. We also must not forget that Jesus is warning us that we can do nothing apart from him. Especially as we see the day of Jesus drawing near. You know, there's more prophecies or more, I don't know about prophecies, but there's more messages, it seems to me, coming along that are speaking of the last days and speaking of the end times. And uh, I don't know about you, but when you really stop and you look and you look at the texts that say, Jesus, when you see these signs happening, know that my return is near. You know, and I thought about it, when you look at World War II, boy, they must have thought that the end was near. But when you look at what's going on today in society and the culture and around our world, the way things have happened in the past few years, you know, like Jesus says, when the end comes, it's going to come swiftly. It's going to come very quick. 
And you look at where the world's going and what they're processing and what they're thinking, how they're going to control all of society, which, you know, it's a natural thing. Of course, they're going to want to do that because, you know, like you see how the social media works and tugs on us and how it divides and how that we find our stream we belong to and we get dogmatic about that. It's going to cause tension and a lot of tension in the world. They're going to have to try to control that somehow. And it's really lousy because they're going to want to try and control us as well. So it's just natural. You can see this stuff coming. You can see it building. If you've got any discernment, you can see it building. But all of that we have that God is offering and wanting to work in us, it starts with coming to him in prayer and a real clear understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus, the authority and the power that is available to each one of us. And if we're honest with Jesus and we're honest with ourselves, and we get you know, into this place where we're walking with the Lord, we're coming into his presence. So much healing can take place in our lives. You know, we've gotta understand that we want to, uh, he wants to heal us. And he wants to see us delivered from all of these things, these hurts and these habits, these things that trip us up. Um, <clears throat> and here's how we do this. In Romans chapter one, or chapter, or in, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is how we do this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set out before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates, he's the one who started us, he's the one who drew us, he's the one who reached out to us and as we responded to him, he saved our souls. Jesus, he initiated the faith that we have in our lives and he says he's the perfecter of our faith in our lives. So he's, gonna, he's working this out in our lives as we go along. Because of the joy that awaited him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God. We have to recognize that we have things in our lives that are keeping us from the fullness of God's Holy Spirit and all that he has in store for us. He wants all of us to be completely free and we can be completely free. And this is why we must pay attention when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us on Sunday mornings, uh, Tuesday mornings, women's ministries and the evenings with the men's ministries at youth, at young adults. We need to pay attention when the Holy Spirit is speaking, not to take that for granted. You know, I'm so thankful because, you know, we feel like sometimes people are like, I can't do that. We got to eliminate that excuse. That's got nothing to do with what we do for the Father. The more impossible it is, the more God is likely to want you to try and trust him to do this. You know, there's scriptures that say, uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I, uh, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Isaiah 40, 31 says that they that wait upon the Lord, they that seek the Lord, spend time with the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, it's because God gives us everything we need to do all that he's requiring of us. He doesn't send us out and then just stand back and watch us struggle and watch us fall. He gives us everything we need as we wait on him and seek him for direction and guidance. You know, like um, he helps us to love our enemies. 
He helps us to, gives us a desire to pray for those who curse us and to forgive those who hurt us. That's not natural stuff, you know, in a human nature's mind. When somebody's hurt you or they're despitefully using you, you know, in our natural mind, we want a vengeance. We want to see something done about that. But, you know, God gives us the ability as believers to not be like that. And I've got a story here that illustrates this quite well. 1958, a young Korean student at a university in Pennsylvania finished a night of study and he penned a letter to his parents in Korea. After sealing the letter, he left this apartment to drop it off in the corner mailbox. As he turned away from the mailbox, a group of teenage young guys attacked him and they beat him and they kicked him and they beat him with a lead pipe. And then when the police found him, a few hours later, he was dead. And uh, the Philadelphia citizens were shocked at the violence and they cried out for vengeance. The district attorney obtained permission to try these young offenders in adult court so that they could receive the death penalty. And then an amazing incident occurred which changed the entire outlook of this uh, trial. The letter arrived from Korea signed by the parents of the murdered student and 20 of his relatives. And it read in part, it says, our family has met together and we have decided to petition the most gracious treatment possible within the laws of your government to give those who committed this act grace. To give evidence of our sincere hope contained in this petition, petition we have decided to save money and start a fund to be used to the relig for the religious, educational, vocational, and social uh, guidance of the boys when they're released. We want to express our hope in the same spirit of grace that we received from the gospel of Jesus Christ who died and forgave us for our sins. The attitude of the parents and the relatives of the students, a student who died surrounded to trial with a totally different outlook. You know, few of us will ever be challenged to operate in this kind of grace for people that do something like this extreme to us, though some of us will. You know, it's not a matter of time whether we're going to be faced with somebody that's going to slander us or threaten us or harm us, but it's a matter of when. And the marvel is that the Christian faith produces people like this. They respond to these kinds of challenges in this way. And you know, I've seen it very practically as being a pastor here at Livingstone's Church for the past 20 years. I've heard a lot of different stories and some very tragic stories. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does in these offices at the church here. But I've been so amazed, you know, in response to these situations of so many who have willingly chosen to go against the, the, the natural desires of vengeance and unforgiveness and instead have chosen to live in the freedom of the Spirit and respond by grace and forgiveness. Like, it's been amazing. It's been humbling to me, to say the least. You know, and it's true that Jesus produces people capable of such acts, and Christ's sacrificial death empowers us to be holy. God challenges us to be holy and God graces us with the power to, that it takes to be made holy. Hebrews 4, 10, 14 says, For by that one offering he forever made perfect 
That's quite a statement. He forever made perfect in God's eyes by that one offering when he looks at us and he's seeing a humble life lived out in Christ. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are willing to be made holy. I mean those who are being made holy. I suppose we have to be willing. But for those who are being made holy, we're being made holy. We're in process And because the sacrifice of Christ is endlessly effective, it produces people with spiritual stamina and freedom to love and a noticeable commitment. The writer of Hebrews urges his readers to digest this kind of stuff and digest it well. And Jesus has enabled us to come close to God, heart to heart and life to life. He's telling us that very clearly to live this heart of love for God together as a body. It's unthinkable to treat the, this salvation of Jesus lightly as though it's, his sacrifice uh, is just a mildly interesting event. The practical section of Hebrews here begins by teaching us that we experience Christ's power when we know him. Verse 19 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. We're not guilty anymore. His shedding of his blood has wiped off the guilt and the shame of sin. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. When we're having a healthy relationship with God, we have a healthy confidence and boldness in our relationship with him. Do you have that confident boldness in your relationship with the father you know it's like Adam when he sinned and he run and he hid and it's I know that when I stumble in some way or whatever lose my head or whatever it might be you know my first reaction is to withdraw from God just sort of like okay and hide in a sense but the thing to do is to repent yeah I know I did what I was what was wrong yeah I know all that I shouldn't have done it but Forget all that stuff. It's Lord, forgive me. You know, and thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. And then start walking in that, thank you for forgiving me, Lord. Even though you feel like maybe you're a hypocrite or maybe you, 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 know, you knew better, whatever. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. And it doesn't take very long before you're back up on your feet and walking with the Lord, forgetting about what's gone on back here. That's how we walk out this life in victory and just as if we'd never sinned. All believers are welcome to come into God's presence. This is a privilege that used to be limited to only the high priests. But now people are being encouraged to approach God because of what Jesus has done. Jesus sacrificed himself and he's opened the door wide. And this was something that was new to these people. They were used to that sacrificial system. And ever since that time, all who find this relationship with God through Jesus Christ can, can experience God's presence like this. But notice I say can experience God's presence like this. 
You know, we have to take some responsibility and we have to make an effort to walk towards, to go into these, this holiest place, God's presence. He serves as our great high priest and encourages us to enter God's presence with no condemnation and no reservation. He's holding nothing back from us. By death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way, verse 20, through the curtain of the most holy place. We don't walk into God's presence arrogantly now because we deserve this. We're with a boastful attitude. And we don't walk into God's presence half-hearted and with, in weakness. You know, we have an authority about our lives now that we're Christians. We're one. We're brothers with Christ. We're children of God. Rather, we walk aware that it is only because of what Jesus did on our behalf that we can stand at all. You know, look at what First Peter, as Jesus, you know, he surrendered his human life to God to bring us to him. And First Peter, it says that Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. He suffered his physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Jesus' human life and sacrificial death made, most, made the most holy place wide open so that the believer can enter directly in uh, to God's presence. This was a part of Jesus' high priestly duty. Hebrews 10 verse 22 says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We can now approach God and have the mercy and grace of our high priest standing over us. It's the privilege that we have as believers to draw near to God in an expression of personal devotions. Okay, that's why we come into the presence of God. It's just showing our personal devotion to him. We're committed to him, to this relationship. In our devotion, we have to come to Jesus with sincere hearts and trusting him. It is only through Jesus that God will provide or provides full access. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which one must be saved than Jesus Christ. And what a privilege it is to have our hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience. This demands a constant confession of our sins and openness to God. Now in the Old Testament, further up in these verses at the beginning of the chapter, it talks about you know, the sacrifices being made. And Paul, Pastor Paul mentioned it last week. Being made day after day after day, these sacrifices. And now it's been made once for all, but you know, we still come to the Father. And we, you know, as we're coming into his presence, and it's an awesome thing. The sacrifices had to be offered every day because the sinning never stopped. And scripture says that if we claim to not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we have to, we accept the fact, okay, I'm a sinner, I'm a loser, that's all there is to it, there's nothing I can do about it. But then Jesus has made this way into the Holy of Holies, so then we come in as we are sinners and we come in day after day and we say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. We walk in that. There's no other way. We walk in that. And we get up, we say, okay, Lord, man, oh man, that was really bad. I shouldn't have done that. Whew. And, he, and then you, you repent, you get up. You say, oh, that's just living like a hypocrite. Well, if you keep on sinning the same sin over and over and you don't wanna, you don't, uh, you're not convicted. You don't feel bad about it. See, the thing is, the difference between living the life of a hypocrite, I think, is you know, when you've fallen or you've stumbled, you stumbled, you feel bad about it. You care that God cares 
that you're doing what you shouldn't be doing. And so then when you repent of it, you know, you say, thank you, Lord. And, you know, oh, man, forgive me. Like, it just makes you sick. And so then you're before the Lord, and then by faith you stand up just as if you'd never sinned, and you just walk forward. And as you're walking forward, and maybe there's a temptation there again, you say, thank you, Jesus, that you've set me free from this. Thank you, Jesus, that you've set me free from my hot temper that I cannot seem to get a handle on. Thank you, Lord, that you've set me free. You stumble, and then you're, you know, hopefully it makes you so sick every time of however you're stumbling that you recognize this is not a good thing. This is going to destroy my life. I repent, Lord God. And you just never give up. The difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is that the righteous keep getting up. And as we keep getting up, you're not going to see nothing but grace and mercy coming from the Lord. An enemy would like to tell you, you know, you can't go to God. That's when you want to hide because you're believing the lie that, you know, I can't stand before God. I've done this a hundred times. Keep getting up. Amen. Let God make you sick of it. And, and no. Like Pastor Paul has said, the wages of sin are death. So we can't keep going down the same path that we wrestle with. And we can't have victory. And it's asking God, set me free from this, Lord. Trip. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Set me free from this, Lord. Thank you that you're setting me free from this, Lord. Trip. Get up. Repent, Lord, okay, Father, thank you that you've set me free from this thing. Eventually this thing stays back there. We do get the victory. It's a process. It's like our celebrate recovery. It's like, you know, when we're faced with addictions in our lives or habits we have in our lives. It just takes perseverance on our part, allowing God and speaking faith because it's God's will that you not be doing this. It's God's will that he set you free. So you know you're praying according to God's will and I better get on with my message. All right, well, we're gonna be here all day. (laughs) But it's true. It's true, true, true. Keep getting up. And care about what God cares about. Ask him to set you free. He'll set you free. By faith, thank him for being set free. Like Abraham said there this morning, he was, you know, like God spoke as if it was past tense. As you're going through life, speak as if it's past tense. Thank God he's setting you free from this thing. And he'll set you free from this thing. Accountability with one another. That's why we need each other as the body of Christ. And I better get on here. God is not like our earthly fathers who are mere mortals and they have all these flaws. But he is a completely faithful one that can be trusted because he keeps all of his promises. It is our responsibility to maintain a spiritual consistency. And it is a learned thing to maintain spiritual consistency. We're urged to hold tightly to the hope that we profess. We're to lay hold of Jesus and to never let go of him, even in the slightest No persecution for these people that are experiencing persecution. And with us, some of us experience persecution, but no persecution, real or feared, was to lessen the passion of these believers in Jesus, and it's not to lessen our passion for Jesus. Yet, at the same time, you know, if holding, uh, holding on to the promises and all that depended on our, us and we just did it on our own strength, we're going to all fail miserably. It's by the grace of God in our lives as we wait upon him, we shall renew our strength to walk through this life in victory. And yet, uh, God, but God can be trusted. He's faithful. He provides strength and stamina when we need it. And, uh, you know, that I believe that 
you know, I have been getting to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior for 43 years now. You know, like that's a long time to a young person. Seems like yesterday to me when I started serving the Lord. But his character in my mind, has he shown me, and I look back at my whole trail of life from those 43 years, he has been faithful. I've gone through loss, you know, of loved ones. And I've gone through employment stress and anxieties, running a business, talk about anxiety or stress, you know, of unpaid bills, like somebody owing you money and stuff like that. Like that's all real huge, but God is there in the midst of it all. I look back and he used it all to train me up in the way that I would go, I should go. And uh, something, you know, that has been very important to recognize is that God is expecting us to be responsible for one another. He let us not think, or let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. The goal of this attention was to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. We're to be encouraging each other to the good deeds, not to the little cheats that we do, you know, like on our income tax or the, the little things that we get away with and they're just so little and they don't really matter and we giggle about them, but it's like and spur each other on to the good deeds. As Christians, we have a corporate responsibility towards one another. See, all of Jesus done to get us into his presence, make us one with him, is all for this that's coming now. We are commanded to concentrate on the needs of others and not only on our own individual salvation. We're to spur each other on to good works. Hebrews calls us to lead others to a practical expression of an attractive display of unselfish deeds. Verse 25 says, So let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, and I believe it is drawing near. To spur each other on forward in our Christian life, we are also commanded to meet together. Some of the readers of Hebrews here were neglecting the meeting together for worship, and they were, it was limiting their ability to give and to receive encouragement from each other, from each other, towards each other, one another. And when we meet together with the aim of promoting godliness and the love of one another, you know, it would be amazed. I think we would just be shocked uh, if we really started to implement this of preferring and to lifting each other up and building each other up and coming alongside each other, just putting into the practice the gospel, especially for brothers and sisters who are in the family here, we'd be amazed at the success that we would see, that we would have in areas of ministry or, you know, whatever, like as we're reaching out into our community, into the world. Regular fellowship with one another as believers is an essential ingredient in Christian growth. We'll not mature in our faith if we are not willing to come together to live as one. You see, persecution was causing these people to drop out of church. Their remedy for the need wasn't for separating and staying away from the church. Their remedy was for coming together and being strengthened by one another. Now, Karen has started doing a class at, uh, here on the women's ministry mornings, the Tuesday mornings, and she's just loving this group. You know, we work hard at trying to get together in the morning and have our coffee together and talk about our day, talk about our kids, talk about our grandkids, talk about what God is showing us. You know, like we just really try to have that open communication with each other about our days, what's going on. And one thing that this conversation's been a lot about is about this book and, and this group, this, what they're learning in this group. And it's a book that is written by Timothy Keller. And it, the title of the book is The Gospel of Life. 
And she's been so excited about this, this book. And as she's been sharing with me what's going on in the book, I noticed that it was talking about uh, community and the workings of the body of Christ. And uh, what he says here, he says that God's purpose in history, now this is quite a statement. Listen to this one. God's purpose in history is to glorify himself through forging a new humanity, a new community of people that follow and believe. In 1 Peter, he, he quotes 1 Peter where we are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You know, the word holy here means set apart. It means distinct, and it means different. And so his paraphrase for that verse is, I want you as my people to be distinct, to be different. I want you to be a new society in which the world can see exhibited what everything in life could be under the kingship of Jesus Christ. We're to be a community that operates in different principles when, we're, when it comes to doing all things in life. Virtually every aspect of the way we live is to be changed by the word of God. We therefore, like Christ, need to be distinct from the world. For that's the, the sort of community that we're supposed to be. We are the dwelling of God. He lives within us. And we are priests in every area of our lives, both vocational and recreational, both civic and family. All areas of our lives are to be a living sacrifice. That is what we're told, and that means that we can't just go on our daily lives and live in the world with the same attitudes and values that everyone else has, and then confine our spiritual life to the weekends and to the evenings. That's not what it, this is about. We're called a community to respond to God's glory in absolutely every area of our life. We cannot really know God apart from community. That statement that took me back a bit. We can't really know him apart from community because think about it. We all have the Holy Spirit living within us. And yeah, he is everywhere. But he has settled in on us in a, an intimate way. And as I get to know you, look at all of you. I get to see Jesus in a little different light every time I talk to somebody. So that's what it's saying. We can't know, really know the Lord apart from community. When we read the Bible, we see how Jesus made his disciples. He brought them together. They lived together. They ate together. They had close contact with one another spiritually, socially, and emotionally. You know, therefore, the most crucial venue for discipleship and for coming to know and follow Jesus is obviously community has a big part in that. You know, like we have our small groups, we have these women's ministries, we have our men's ministries, we've got all kinds of stuff where we can connect with one another. Serving in the church at different, the coffee bar, down in the kitchen, in the children's wing, you start connecting with other believers. You'll start to grow spiritually in that way. Keller says that we are to be a new humanity, a new community, a people who follow, believe, and know God. Now, I'm going to skip ahead here a bit. It is uh, the, one another, the one another passages in the scripture that, of the Bible that shows us how to build this kind of community. He says we're to honor one another. We're to serve one another. 
We're to offer hospitality to one another. We're to encourage one another, accept one another, bear with one another, admonish one another, to teach one another, and we're to love one another. That's the sort of community that we need to learn how to be. Keller says that it is so possible to have a dramatic, personal, emotional experience with Jesus and not really change in our lives if we don't belong to the community of Christ, if we don't belong to one another. You know, we cannot win the world apart from community. We can't win the world on our own. But together, like, we can do so much more. Just a simple one, a two can do more than twice as much. So we should be showing the world in regard to money, sex, and power that we're different. You know, we don't regard money as mainly a ways of getting ahead and getting status, but instead it's a, a thing that we use to serve people. We don't regard sex mainly as fulfilling ourselves as individuals, but rather it's a way of taking a relationship and turning it into a marriage relationship and into a family. And we don't look at power as mainly a, an end to itself, but we, as we share, as a way of sharing and bringing justice to the world. In other words, the gospel turns money, sex, and power into life-giving things. That's where our perspective as God's people has to be. Lots of notes today. First John 4.20. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, says that person is a liar. So if I, for if I don't love people, when we see how God, how can we say we love God who we can't see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also be there for their fellow believers. We will not know God. We will not grow in our maturity and our faith apart from each other. So the two things really here are, you know, recognizing who we are in Christ. We have a power and authority in our lives to be who God's called us to be. He's equipped us to do everything that he's requiring of us. If he's asking us to do something that we don't feel like we're capable of doing, he will, he will equip us through the body of Christ. And, he's, and it's very strong here that I'm unable to emphasize on the impact that we can have in our world as a community of believers. You know, it just blows my mind that I think that as the, as the church across our nation, if we could just pull it together and become really unified, we could make a big impact in our world, in the morality of what's going on in our world. And you know, so, and that was Jesus' prayer, that they would be one as we are one, Father. And it was the way that the world will know us by their love for one another. And so I think that we need to really practice that, recognize that Christ in us, we need each other so that we can grow and we can mature in our faith because we can't grow apart from each other. And uh, I want to encourage you to invite your friends back to church. Invite your friends to church. Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe this message is a message. You've never heard a message before where Jesus is it. There's no other name under heaven by which one must be saved. Uh, you know, I want to invite you to, you know, uh, online or in the back of the pew, we have those cards. Just fill those cards out. And somebody will contact you and uh, meet with you and, and pray with you. You feel like you need healing you need deliverance. You know, as we surrender our lives to Christ, he wants us to be healed. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be delivered from these things that are stopping us or in the way from us serving him and, 
And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us to hear what it is that your Spirit is saying here this morning with clarity, Father God. For, Lord, you live within us, and you've given us your word, and you've given us full access to you. Draw us to yourself to wait on you, to renew our strength, Father God, that we could mount up with wings as eagles as we go through this life and give us wisdom in making decisions. Give us favor in the eyes and the, and the lives of the people around us, Father God. Help us to be your, your people that when they look at us, they see you. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and pray that you would just come into our lives. Be one with us, Lord. Help us to walk out this walk, this mighty walk, Lord God, in wholeness, I pray, as one body, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we have a cafeteria down here. And this cafeteria is just a great place to get to know one another. And it's really a neat experience to go and to sit down and have lunch with a family that you don't know, maybe you've never met. So I encourage you to do that. So that's one way of many ways of getting to uh, become the body of Christ that we're meant to be. Bless you as you go.